Amen. All right. Hey, page 110, if you want to do a little recap. If you don't want to do a recap, too bad we're going to do one anyway. Love you. Intro to apologetics is where we're at as you turn to page 110. And uh, we've already dealt with some of the apologetic, give a defense of is what that means of for the faith uh, and our faith in God. And they question, of course, his uh, existence. And so we give a defense for that. Everything has a beginning, which implies a beginner, i.e. God. Everything has a design, including a designer, i.e. God, uh, with a capital D. What about evolution? That's a lie. Boy, did we ever go down deep on that. Uh, where'd this universal moral law come from? Unless a moral lawgiver, i.e. God, gave it to us. It's all across the planet. What about the Bible? That's just whooped up by man. No, it's not. That book is supernatural, unlike any other book in the history of mankind. But wait a second. If God's real, what about this evil and suffering? We've dealt with that extensively. Uh, is Jesus really the Son of God? And did he really rise again from the dead? They start to attack him. Yes, he is the Son of God. And yes, he really did rise again from the, the dead. And we see that proof there, not just biblically, but logically. And then we begin, what is the meaning of life? Now, as basically and as weird as that sounds, again, as I kind of alluded to in the opening prayer, uh, we Christians say we know the right answer, right? So the right answer is God. So I'm going to give it to you in advance. So what is the meaning of life? All four of you. We're, well, let's, we're getting, it's better than one, I guess. Okay, but it is God, right? Now we say that. Now what we saw last time, if you were here, uh, is that uh, we say we know the meaning of life and it's all about God, but sometimes in the church, you wonder why the world gets the impression as if, well, it's not Christianity, that's not the meaning of life. It's not Jesus. It's because how are we treating it? Remember last time we were there? You got people, uh, instead of just saying very quickly, it's God. The reason why I exist is to glorify God, to grow up in my relationship with God and get the gospel out. It took about four seconds, right? You don't need 40 days to find your purpose. It's crazy. We don't need to go on a God hunt. Where's God? Oh, if only somehow somebody would. What? And the world's watching this baloney that we do, okay? And you wonder why they're looking elsewhere for meaning and purpose in life. We need to show them, beyond a doubt, it is Jesus and only Jesus. Now, we saw that the world throws out a bunch of uh, rabbit trails and detours. Everybody go down one of these trails before you met Jesus Christ, thinking this is where life's all about. Money, wisdom, education, fame, power, fun, accomplishments, and relationships. I went down every single one of those, man. Okay, uh, but they are bankrupt. They're meaningless, as we saw Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes. Now, last time we only got into the first one that he said that's a, a, a totally bankrupt, totally meaningless, but yet, unfortunately, not just back then, even today, people are still pushing it. Hey, life would be great. You'd full of meaning if you just get an education. I'll turn to somebody and say that. Uh, it just sounds cool. I like it. It's almost like our imagination. Remember that one from back there? It's a similar word. Uh, but anyway, education. Now, again, as we saw, nothing wrong with education. You need to get educated. Hey, if you want to get educated in something that's going to make a difference in your life, how about this one right here? Start here and stay there and keep going there. Okay, we saw the point. The problem is, even in our country, the purpose of an education was biblical. Okay, most of the universities, 123 out of 126, were formed on Christian principles, Christian universities. Uh, up until 1900, it was very rare to have a university in the United States that was not a clergyman, a pastor. Okay, Harvard, you know, used to be about Jesus Christ, for Christ in the church, that is their motto, uh, and things of that nature. And, uh, but boy, have things turned around. And so the, the purpose of an education is to show ourselves approved unto God. The scripture says that's what our founding fathers believed in. That's what our country was uh, rooted in for many years. Uh, used to learn the alphabet by teaching kids uh, the alphabet of the Bible and learning the alphabet. And on and on it goes with McGuffey Reader. Check it out yourself. Okay, 210 years that was taught in our country. 
okay, until the live evolution begins to take over. Uh, but that's not where it's at, we saw, okay? Nothing wrong with education, but the purpose of an education is to get equipped to serve other people in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it used to be. Now, that's not what it is. The purpose of an education now, they say, if you get a good education, you can get a good job. A good job is one in which you make a lot of money. If you make a lot of money, you can buy a lot of things to impress people you don't know who in the end don't even stink and care. That is bankrupt. That's meaningless. So there's nothing wrong with education. Certainly get educated in the word of God. That's the main one. Okay? But understand, even if you do get educated, it's to serve other people in Jesus' name. Amen? That will bring some meaning to that. But education in and of itself is not where it's at. Now, let's go to page 113. We're going to take a look at the second line that they say, if what is the meaning, what is the purpose of life? And they basically say, fun. That's right. Fun, fun, fun. That's right. How about some pleasure? Fun pleasure. Anybody ever go down that route? That's what it is. Everybody's working for the weekend. It's all about that. You just get some time off. You go out and you do what? You have some fun. Okay, let's examine that. What about pleasure and fun? Will this bring me uh, true joy and meaning? Okay, well, as a... I don't know who that is, Earl Jones or whatever that guy is. Uh, But uh, what about this? Okay, surely pleasure and fun. That's your first blank there. Surely pleasure and fun bring happiness. Isn't that what the world says? Right? It's what it's all about, right? And, and you, you look at all that, uh, this commercials on TV and the people are having such fun and it's fun and do this and go here and have fun and your life will be great and everything's wonderful. That's what they sell us. But there's two types of fun. There's sinful fun and there's fun that's not sinful. How many guys can figure that out without any help? Okay, that's good. How many guys remember that after you got saved, it was like, Hey, wait a second. I forgot that you can have fun and not do it sinfully. Did you, did you ever remember that? I mean, before I got saved, you guys know my background and the history and all the drugs and the immorality and anything that was just basically sinful. That's how you have real fun. You got to go out and do this and do all these rotten things and go get drunk and do drugs and immorality and this and blah, blah, blah. And you wake up the next day feeling horrible. That's sinful fun, quote unquote. All right? And then I'm going to forget after I got saved. It's like, wait a second. You know, because what's the mindset that people have of Christians and Christianity? And you might hear this even still today with teenagers and young adults. Well, I don't want to get saved now because if I do, I'll miss out on so much. (laughs) Which implies what? Being a Christian isn't fun. Excuse me? Anybody ever notice that it's kind of a wild ride being a Christian? Right? But I'm going to never forget, man, when I got saved, it's all of a sudden, it's like, listen, I can still go have fun. I can still go hang out with people. I just don't know how to go get drunk. I can still have fun. I can still go have a great time and fellowship, right? I just don't need to be snorting up a bunch of coke or popping amphetamines. I can still have fun. I can still have a great time with people. Go out here and go to this. You know, I can enjoy, hey, here's a concept, enjoy Bible study. Right? I don't have to go to a bar, right? I don't have to do none of that stuff, right? So you can still have fun, and it's great fun. It's clean fun. But listen to this. The author of Ecclesiastes would say that both are ultimately empty, now, I wouldn't say what I kind of alluded to and said, uh, biblical fun Bible study, that's not empty because that does bring value, right? That does impact and give meaning and purpose and remind us of meaning and purpose and all that stuff that comes from God. But I'm talking about just general old non-sinful fun. Sinful fun leaves you empty, lost, and feeling guilty. Just plain old fun still leaves you empty eventually. Let me give you some examples. How many times do you got to ride that roller coaster? Right? All right, it was cool that first time. Maybe the second time. But that third time after you pretty much got done sharing your inner self on the person sitting next to you. They didn't think it was fun. 
and it wasn't fun anymore, right? Now, that's not sinful, per se, unless you meant to barf on them. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it's like, that wasn't like going to a bar or doing drugs or something like that. Sinful fun. That was just right and roll. But it gets old, right? Disneyland. If I could only go to Disneyland, I could just do that and it's fun. And, and that's fun. It's, it's okay, right? But after about three days paying $19 for that popcorn, you want to find Goofy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? It's, it just, what happened to the fun, right? Right? So eventually, even the clean fun just, what was that all about? Right? And that, that's his point, ultimately, okay? Proverbs twenty five sixteen says, uh, an interesting verse, if you, lo- if you find honey, eat just enough, because too much of it, and you'll vomit. Too much of it, and you'll vomit. What about all the fads, all the things that we said, we just need to have to have fun. I just got to have this doodad. I just got to have this thing. Whether it's exercise or games, right? Kids do this all the time. Our kids are getting into this thing. Dad, I just got to have this game for the Wii, and it's just awesome. And I'm just, please, I'll do anything. I'll paint the house. I'll build a rocket ship. I'll do, you know, all that stuff starts coming out. Please, right, right. And so then we go to the knockoff store, right, and get the used one for seven bucks. I'll give you seven bucks, you know. And they get it, and they're, oh, it's so awesome. Three days later, what are they doing? Yeah, can I get another game? It's awesome. I'll build a rocket ship. What happened to the last one? Well, it's not fun anymore. It's just been three days. What are you talking about, right? Okay. Uh, We do this as adults, right? We have all these things, the fads. Oh, oh, exercise equipment. How many guys realize that exercise equipment really are, just call it for what it is, future items for the garage sale? (laughs) Isn't that really what it is, right? That's exactly what it is. Right? Or people, you're begging, would you please get that out of my garage? Right? This stair stepper, this mass stepper, the step, step, this, step, that, whatever, shoot pull, racky thing. And are you amazed at all the different things that they come up with? It's like, dude, how many times can you come up? Now you're, at first it was just this, but then it was this, and then it's this, and then it's this, and this rock and this. Also, it's like, man, how many things can you get a person to do? No wonder you got back problems. Right? And you sit in the garage and you don't use it anymore. But, right? It's, oh, I just had to have this thing. It's so fun and i need it and right uh leg warmers ladies remember those things you just had to have them you were so cool neon socks if i just had those yeah you know you're out there uh break dancing lava lamps platform shoes bobby sea monkeys remember that reading that if i can i saw how many times did you read that in the comic book i've got to have sea monkeys my life would be so fun how many ever got those things what is this bacteria termites what is he got ripped off again man uh, mood rings, right? Oh, oh, this one. Oh, listen to this. One guy decided to buy his wife a mood ring so he could figure out the best time to talk to her, right? So sure enough, in no time, he was able to figure out that when she was in a good mood, it turned green. And when it was in a bad mood, it left a red mark right here on his forehead, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. In other words, in other words, this is your next blank there. Even good things in abundance repeatedly, over and over again, will eventually make you sick. And that's what he's talking about. It doesn't have to be sinful, but it, that's not where it's at. That's not going to fill the hole in your heart. Uh, 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 it's a God-shaped void. Only God can fill it. That's the meaning of life. Ravi Zacharias, at the top of the next page, he puts it this way. Any pleasure, however good, if it's not kept in balance, will distort reality and destroy 
uh, appetites, okay? But what does the author of Ecclesiastes say about fun? Maybe he wasn't able to take it to the max because that's what a rule does, right? No, no, okay, maybe that one didn't work, but we've got a new product. We've got a new thing. We've got a new exercise. We've got a new place to go. We've got a new amusement park. We've got this new stuff. This guy did it all. And listen to his summation. That's what he says. Ecclesiastes uh, 2.10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Remember, because this guy was not just the biggest, toughest, powerfulest guy. He was the richest man ever. He had the cash to do whatever he wanted to do. And the power and the authority. So can you imagine, he saw everything he saw he wanted. He took anything he wanted to do, he did. And here's what he says. I thought in my heart, come now. I'm going to test you with pleasure to find out what is good. This is the meaning of life. No. It proved to be what? Meaningless. The truth is that pleasure is temporary. That's the problem there. Pleasure is temporary, is your blank there, and short-lived. And Hebrews commends Moses for turning against that and turning to that which is eternal, because that's where it's at. Okay? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Okay, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater than a value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Okay, so Moses could have had everything as your blank there. He could have had everything. This guy was right there next to Pharaoh. He could have had everything, right? Everything Egypt had to offer, but he followed, is your next blank there, he followed God rather than pleasure. He could have sold out. He could have did it the world's way. But he followed God rather than pleasure because he knew it was short-lived and it could not ultimately provide meaning, peace, or joy. Okay? And boy, the prime example of that has to be the prodigal son. Right? Go out there, not just with money, uh, but man, just wild living pleasure, pleasing yourself many times. And what did he find out? That's not where it's at. In fact, let's turn there real quick. Uh, Luke 15. And uh, remind ourselves of that account. Luke 15. And... Um, Let's take a look at uh, verses 11 through 24. Luke 15. Uh, the lost son. And if you run down the same route, thinking that it's just money and pleasure and that's what it's all about, you're going to get lost too. Right? And you're going to be eating pig slop, by the way. All right, let's take a look at there. Parable of the lost son. Verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one uh, said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, as we talked before, that's basically the, the kid, uh, the father's still alive. And he wants his inheritance, and he wants it now. And so basically, he's going up to his dad and saying, Dad, basically, I wish you were dead. Give me my part of this. My, whoa. Very self-centered, very ungrateful son. Right? Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. You know, fun. Right? Uh, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He, now, how many guys realize that with the Jewish people, with the ceremonial dietary laws, that wasn't a good thing to be doing? Wasn't too kosher, right? So he's feeding pigs, right? He longed to fill his stomach, though, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, when he came to his senses, anybody come to your senses? What in the world am I doing? This ain't fun. This ain't where it's at. Even after you get saved. When he came to his senses, he said, uh, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And, and here I am starving to death. I'm going to sit out and go back to my father and say to him, he gets his speech ready, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I'm 
no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father, he saw him right at the top of the hill and he could see this little tiny dot and he was dad. And he was sitting there going like this. Yeah, you better get up here with your speech. Listen to this. Isn't this wonderful? What's he say? He says, uh, uh, and he says, but while he's still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He didn't wait for the son to get there. As soon as the father saw him, he ran to him. Isn't that wonderful to know that even as a born-again Christian, not just the moment when you get saved, but when you realize, what in the world am I doing? Listen to this world. I've been eating pig slop. I need to get back to Jesus as a Christian. That God runs to you. And he's so willing to forgive And he's so willing to wrap us up and enjoy that intimacy again. Isn't that awesome? I think sometimes we don't realize that as Christians, and the enemy has a heyday with that one. He really does, because you think, well, I've been goofing off my walk with Jesus for a week now, so I guess I better sweat bullets and, you know, practice my speech with God, and I'm a slime ball, and I'm not, I'm not saying you don't repent and you don't own up to your sin, but, you know, just, we keep, we keep it going, don't we? Long after God's forgiven us. I, I can't have intimacy. I mean, and he said, are you kidding me? Did you confess your sins? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go have some cow. You see, you think I'm kidding. That's what the text says. Watch this, right? And he says this. He says, but while it's still a long way, his father's filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, here comes his speech, father. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted what? Notice it's not chicken. You know I'm going to bring this up. It ain't the fatted chicken. That's foul. Foul food, very foul, right? Bring the what? This is celebratory time, man. You eat some cow. Bring a fatted calf, man, and kill that thing. Right? Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He's lost, and he's found. And they began to what? Celebrate. Okay? So that's the good news, is even though if we take a detour, or even just that's how we came to Christ. I was so, I remember that, oh, man, that moment in getting saved and coming to Jesus by his spirit coming to my senses and turning to him. And I remember the sensation like, I am so sick and tired of 25 years of being the captain of this ship. <laughs> I, mean, wrecked, uh, I hate it. I was sick of it. And it was so awesome to be able to come to God and to be forgiven. But Christian, I'm telling you, even if you get, because our world every day in the media, peer pressure, just living in this wicked world system, they're always, even you're born again, praise God, you can't lose your salvation, but the enemy moves to plan B, and he tries to trick you to do anything and everything but develop that intimacy with Jesus Christ and to serve him. And he's out there saying, no, 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 you know better, but he's still, but if I just had this, and if I just did fun, and if I had all these things, and the education, and the money, and the fame, and the that, and this, nah, and you go down that route. Next thing you know, you wake up, and you go, what am I doing eating pig slop? God will, just like that, come right back to you. Receive it. Don't doubt him, okay? This is the coolest, coolest illustration I've ever come across in all the years of ministry. I came across this about two years ago. And it's a true story of the prodigal son story. This really happened. I've never seen anything, a direct correlation that I could verify than this. This, is, this happened in Salinas, California. You guys familiar with the area? Okay, a lot of farming in that area. Uh, used to, you know, was in Sacramento area myself for 19 years. But anyway, listen, this, this really happened, okay? And there was a wealthy landowner, one of the big farming 
industry folks there. He had two sons. One was older, and he was more responsible and respectful. He had a younger one. Guess what role he played? This is verified. He was more of the rebel, right? And from an early age, uh, uh, his dad uh, basically had told both of his sons that when they turned 18, uh, that uh, he would cash out, divide the land and the property, and he would give their inheritance to them. Okay, he said that for years. I'll do that if that's what you want. That's what I'll do for you. But you got to turn 18. Well, sure enough, uh, he was getting close. The younger son was getting closer to 18 there in Salina in uh, California. And uh, he started peppering his dad. He says, Dad, remember your promise? Remember your promise? Right? He says, uh, you remember you said you would cash out and you would give me my money. Right? And the dad literally pleaded with him. He says, listen, because he could recognize how immature he was. He said, listen, son, now's not the time. Just hang with me for about three or four more years. Uh, develop some more maturity, and then it's all yours. And he says, no, 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 a promise is a promise. You said 18. I want my money when I turn 18. So a few months later, he turned 18. His dad made good on the promise, wrote him a check, gave him the property, cashed it in. Literally, all of a sudden, 18 years old, he's got millions of dollars. True story. True story. So imagine, he says, a freshman in college having millions of dollars at their disposal. So he did what any freshman at 18 would do. He took the money. He says, I'm going to get as far away from here, as far away from my dad's rules as I possibly can. He jumped on a train, and he went to New York City, all the way to the other side of the coast from California. And as soon as he got to New York, he started taking his money and throwing it away. He grabbed uh, him the nicest sports car he could get. He grabbed uh, some buddies, because everybody likes you when you got money. You learned that one as a non-Christian? Uh, and, uh, and he got an elite penthouse on top of one of the high-rises. He began buying every kind of dating relationship that money could buy. Uh, eventually, this led to alcohol problems, gambling problems, uh, and before long, he began to spend more money and actually began to uh, accrue more debt than he could pay off. Eventually, the creditors came after him. He had to move out of the penthouse. He had to let go of a sports car, and before he knew it, he was on the Upper East Side of New York wandering the streets after having millions of dollars just like the prodigal son. His alcoholism got him to the point where he was literally pilfering through the garbage cans, okay, trying to find bottles with remnants of alcohol still in them so he could drink. His now sexually transmitted diseases uh, got so bad that they covered his body in sores. All of his friends had left him uh, until one day he was on the street. He came to a reality check. You know, he came to his senses. This is a true story. Uh, he said, if I don't do something about this now, I'm going to die out here. So he managed to bum uh, some money off a couple of his old friends, and he bought a, a, a train ticket back to Salinas. And he thought this, quote, if I can only get back to my dad, then I could just start over. And so he, he takes a train ride, a couple days pass. He wins up, ends up in Salinas. He gets off the train. He walks into the square, but he realizes, wait a second. There is no way I can see my dad face to face. There's no way he's going to accept me back after what I did and, and how I look now. He's just going to laugh at me and say, I told you so. So he went into a cafe there in Salinas, and he just began to weep, thinking about what he was going to do. And so he decided, I'm going to write a letter to my dad. So he wrote the letter to his dad, um, and uh, he actually found one of his dad's farm workers, okay, and gave him the letter. And he says, will you take this to my dad because I can't bear to see him right now. And so the farm worker did. And the guy telling the story, here's, he had a copy of that letter in California. Here's what it said. He says, the son said, Father, I realize what I've done. I've wasted not only your money, but my life, which is important to you. I, I, I can't even begin to tell you about the awful things I've done. I'm embarrassed. I'm at the end of my rope. I know nothing else to do but ask you if I can return home. 
I know that there's no reason why you should accept me back, but I plead and I beg with you that if you would, even as a farm worker on your land, does that sound familiar? Isn't this wild? Accept me back. I'll do anything for no pay, just room and board. He said, Father, I have just enough money to, t- this is, mm. I have just enough money to take the train that passes by our ranch in front of the apple orchard near the edge of the property. I'm, gonna, I'm going by there on the train tomorrow at 1 p.m., and if you would accept me back, I would ask that you simply drape an old sheet over one of the trees nearest the railroad, and as I'm passing by, I'll see the signal, and I'll know you've accepted me to come home. If the sheet is not there, then I won't stop at the train station. I'll just keep on going. I can't bear to see you face-to-face. I don't have the courage. I've done too much. I have no idea what's going to happen with the rest of my life. Your son. And he said, imagine being in that position. A a whole sleepless night went by, filled with anxiety for this young man. And the next morning, he jumped on the train. And as soon as he got on the train, he walked to the very back of the train. He sat down next to this old man, and he just put his face in his hands and began to weep as he began to uh, contemplate what he may or may not see. He began to share with the old man the story about the things he had done and how he was trying to come back. And soon enough, the train was passing outside of Salinas and got uh, to the outside edge of town where their ranch was. And so he looked at the old man and says, can you do me a favor? Can you just go to the window and, and just tell me if you see one sheet anywhere in this apple orchard? I can't bear to look. So the old man jumped up. True story. Went to the window. He looked out. And then he looked back at the young man again. And he says, I think you need to come and see this for yourself. And when he, when he jumped up, he went to the window and he looked out. And as far as I could see for five square miles, there was a sheet on every single tree. Wow. Isn't that like God? We had no idea the depths of his compassion and love and forgiveness. And even if we've blown it, even after being saved, don't you realize how long he wants to spend intimacy with us? Take him in his word. He's forgiven you. He loves you. Enjoy him. Celebrate what Christ has done for us. Isn't that wild? Fun is not where it's at. Fun, sinful fun, non-sinful fun, eventually wears out, leave you empty, it's meaningless. But Jesus Christ is the answer. Amen? All right, let's move on to the next page. 115, Robbie Zachariah says, there's something here that this wealthy nation should take special note of. I'm absolutely convinced that meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. Right? And it's just all of a sudden, man, I'm just eating a pile of pig slop. What am I doing? Let's get back to Jesus. And that's the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. Now, here comes the next one. Oh, boy. We've been talking about this a little bit each two weeks, but this is the big one, right? Oh, this is, this is why you go to school, according to our society. This is what it's all about, right? This is why you scrimp and save, and this is why you're trying to get that job and get that advancement and do all this stuff. And, and so, so you can, if I only had enough money, right? If I were rich, is your blank there? Isn't that what it is? If I were rich, money, that fixes everything. No. What about money, wealth, riches, and power, right? Well, let's take a look at Solomon. I think he's got some qualifications, some authority to speak on this issue. Uh, He just had more money than anybody ever in the history of mankind. 
right? And so let's take a look at that. The weight of gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents every year, every year. How many? Just once in a lifetime, have 25 tons of gold. Anybody? Yes, we have a greater hands of showing on that one. Uh, Every year he got 25 tons of gold. And that's not counting everything else if you read the account. Okay, not including the revenues from the merchants and the traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the land, right? So this guy had a couple dollars. Okay, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth, 1 Kings 10 says. And again, Ecclesiastes, Solomon has gone further down the road of wealth than anyone before him. But here is his report. If society's right, he should confirm it. Boy, this is the prime example. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. What? We talked about that before. Scripture also says, right, as uh, goods increase, so do those who consume them. You get that hundred bucks that you so desperately thought was going to fix everything, and what happens? You get that raise that puts you up here, and what happened? You get this, and you got that, and all this. It, it, have you noticed that money has a way of going? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And this is what he says. You never have enough. Whoever loves wealth is, listen, never satisfied. That's your blank there. Never satisfied. Okay, with his income. You can see this with sports figures. I don't know about you, but... I don't know if you noticed this or not. Um, I'm vertically challenged. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, to let you know. I'm small, okay? I'm a short little guy. I know. For those of you watching the video, yes, it's true. I'm sorry. It doesn't look like it on camera. <clears throat> we go to that wide screen to try to fake you out. No. But anyway, uh, so, all right, so guess what? Okay, if I got an offer from some NBA team, right? Lakers could use some help. Maybe I could. Help them out. I don't know. You know, Spud Webb, eat your heart out. I don't know. But anyway, so, uh, and if they offered me, what, what's the typical salary, right? Even for somebody my size. Hey, we'll give you 18 million for three years. <laughs> but if you look at the sports figures, okay, first of all, that's never going to happen. If you guys realize that, please tell me you understand that. I'm just joking. I'm making a, a thing. All right. But sports figures, right? I mean, they get these incredible salaries, right? And, and, you know, more power to him, whatever. I'm not necessarily against that per se, whatever, uh, to a certain extent, whatever. And I think you could use better with finances and things of that nature and whatever. That's a whole other topic. But my point is, it's never enough, right? Somebody came up to you and says, hey, I'll, for three years, for 30 years, but three years, I'll give you 18 million bucks. Oh, no. And here comes the haggling, right? No, you got to pay me 30. No, it's 23. No, how about 25? And I, name a sport, Right? How much is enough? You're never satisfied. And this is exactly what we see here. Someone asked John D. Rockefeller, the richest man of his time, how much money is enough? And he replied with the perfect definition of greed, just a little more. It means you're never satisfied, right? When do you ever reach that plateau? It doesn't. In fact, sometimes a lot of people who get a lot of great wealth, you get to this eclipse point, they say, and then it goes from like, oh, okay, I'm a little bit freer. Doesn't you know? And then a, a different, and you think that all the worries go away. A different set of worries. Now you're worried of losing it. Now you're worried of somebody taking it. Now you're worried of somebody coming and taking you, or taking your family, or doing all kinds of weird stuff. You just switch your worry, right? Uh, this guy said this. Uh, a real estate tycoon uh, read uh, something similar. He says, "I want all the land in the world. I, I don't want all the land in the world. Just whatever touches mine." Yeah, you're never satisfied. Now, we've shared this before, but the uh, 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 nine of the world's richest men who ever lived, 
You tell me if they had value and meaning and a great life. Because if that's, you know, they were just rich. Surely everything was great, right? Uh, Charles Schwab, uh, he, largest independent steel company. He died bankrupt, lived on borrowed money for five years before he died. Uh, Samuel Insull, the largest utility company, died a fugitive from justice, penniless in a foreign land. Howard Hobson, the largest gas company, he went insane. Arthur Cotton, the greatest wheat speculator, died uh, abroad in Solvent. Uh, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, he uh, spent time in Sing Sing Penitentiary. Albert Fall, he was a member of the president's cabinet at the time, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. Jesse Livermore, he was the greatest bear quote on Wall Street. He died a suicide. Uh, the head of the greatest monopoly, Ivan Kruger, died a suicide. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Fraser, died a suicide. And it said here, all these guys learned the art of, quote, making money. But how did it turn out for you? Not good, right? Money in itself isn't bad. But money is very dangerous, right? You can't serve two gods. I know a lot of people that God has gifted, uh, even as Christians, gifted with wealth. And I see them use it in a biblical fashion, right? doesn't mean that oh, every, every good Christian is a poor Christian and you have to live in a cardboard box. I'm not saying that. That's false humility. doesn't mean you need 19 swimming pools either, right? But take care of your needs, and then God will use you to be a channel of blessing in his name. You see that in the scripture. Who supported Jesus in his ministry? Wealthy ladies. It says they're in the text there. All right? So money isn't bad in itself. It's what you do with it. It's your heart. It's your attitude. And if you think that money is where you're going to get meaning, you're in a heap of trouble. You're going to lead to heartache. Now, top of the next page. Consider an even more recent example with Howard Hughes. At the age of 45, Howard Hughes was one of the most glamorous men in America. He courted actresses. He piloted exotic test aircraft. He worked on top secret CIA contracts. He owned a string of hotels around the world. Even the airline, TWA at the time, carried him on global uh, jaunts. 20 years later, at the age of 65, Howard Hughes still had plenty of money. Is your blank there. Plenty of money. 2.3 billion, not million, billion dollars to be exact. But the world's richest man at that time had become one of its most pathetic. He lived in a small dark room atop his hotels without sun and without joy. He was unkempt. Uh, a scraggly beard had grown waist length. His hair fell down his back. His fingernails were two inches long. His once powerful six foot four frame had shrunk to a hundred pounds. This famous and powerful man spent most of his time watching movies over and over with the same movie showing as many as 150 times. He lay naked in his bed, deathly afraid of germs. Life held no meaning for him. Is your blank there. No meaning. Finally, emaciated and hooked on drugs, he died at the age of 67 for a lack of a medical device that his own company had to help to develop. Sad, sad, sad. How could that happen to him? How could he end up that way? Because haven't you heard? I mean, you watch the commercials. Aren't you being indoctrinated in our uh, secular school system? It's all about getting enough money. And if you get enough money, life would always be great. How many examples do you need? And again, we, sometimes I think we're just ungrateful. How many guys, again, I've said this before, but I'm, I'm, it's Matthew chapter 6. What's God say? What's Jesus say? Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. You just seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things be added unto you. I'll make sure that you got food, what you're going to eat, you got some clothes, what you're going to wear, right? 
you don't need to worry about your life. You got a place to sleep. Again, once again, how many guys have some food? Some of us more than others. We won't talk about that. But we all got food. So what is God doing? How is He leaving us hanging high and dry? We got food, right? Now, granted, hey, I've been there. Sometimes it's steak, sometimes it's beans. But you got food. God's taking care of you. And I've said this before personally. I don't know if you guys appreciate this, but I certainly do, certainly in a, a Bible study. How many guys got clothes on? Serious detriment getting up here. I can't see my notes. I can't see nothing. We're, not, we're just closing in prayer. Shortest Bible study ever. No, hey, you got clothes. Maybe it's not the Gucci. Maybe it's not the Nikes. Maybe it's, who cares? You got clothes? Did you get here? How's God leaving you hanging your high? What's he doing? What? You got a place to sleep? Maybe it's not a, a mansion, but who cares? You got a place, don't you? What has God not done for you that he didn't say he was going to do? You just seek first his kingdom, right? And see, all this riches, it, you're basically saying, it's not enough, God. I need a bigger house. I need a better house. I need more clothes. I need this. No, and that food's not good enough. That's what? You go to some foreign country, and you will never, ever, ever whine about cold french fries i'm gonna tell the manager (laughs) ever again ever again we are so blessed here by god okay don't fall for this lie christian right but when we're out there running just like the rest of all what impression are we giving the lost apparently god doesn't know what he's doing apparently he doesn't know how to take care of us and apparently i have to have a mansion and billions of dollars to be happy that's not the truth, okay? Let's continue on. A Chinese billionaire who converted to Christianity was asked this question, why did you convert? Listen to his answer. All my life, I spent my time climbing the mountain of wealth and success, and when I finally got to the top, I looked around, and there was nothing there, right? Nothing there. Remember that thing you just had to have? You just had to have that house, or you just had to have that thing to put in the house. You just had to have that car. You just had that thing. You just had to have whatever you had. Okay, you got it. That was cool. What happened about two months later? Uh, that's not exciting anymore, is it? I need to have this thing. I need to have this thing. Right? How many times have we got to go through that? Jesus said this. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Right? Think about that. Money and riches cannot bring life, meaning, peace, or even security. Lawrence Shamus, he writes this about the observation of the United States myth <clears throat> that more is better. Listen to this. Consumption. How many of you guys remember that song? Consumption, consumption, what's your function? No, it's conjunction. I know, you funny story. Rock house people, whatever. Consumption is the blank there. All right, consumption kept the workers working, which kept the paychecks coming, which kept the people spending, which kept the inventors inventing and the investors investing, which uh, meant there was more to consume. It was a perfect circle, complete in itself, but empty in the middle. That's the phrase I use all the time. Why, Why do you exist? To get a job, to get money, to buy things you don't need, who in the end, to impress people who don't even care. What? Are you serious? That's it? No wonder uh, people are bankrupt. One guy, I'll do this uh, illustration. E. Stanley Jones. He talks about a fictional person who lived out a fantasy life, and all he had to do was think of it, and poof, he had it. Okay? So this man, in a moment of time, he sticks his hands into his pockets and leans back, and he says, uh, he imagines a mansion. Poof, he got it. Right? 
Uh, he's got this 15-bedroom mansion. He's got three stories with servants instantly available to wait upon his every need. And so he thought, well, hey, a place like this, you need uh, f- uh, several fine cars. And so again, he closes his eyes and he, he imagines a driveway full of the finest wheels money can buy. And poof, several of the best vehicles instantly uh, brought before his eyes. He's free to drive them himself or sit way back in a limousine uh, with mafia glass wrapped around the car, have a chauffeur drive him, whatever he wants, whatever he wishes. But soon there's no other place to travel, so he goes back home and he wishes for a sumptuous meal and poof, there it is. The meal right in front of him with all of its mouth-watering aromas and beauty and which he eats alone. And, and yet there's something more he needed to find. He needed to find happiness. Well, finally... He grows so terribly bored and unchallenged that he whispers to one of his attendants and he said, I want to get out of this. I, I, I want to create some things again. I, I'd rather be in hell than in here. To which one of his servants replied, where do you think you are? See, we listen to the TV way more than God. God says that's a horrible, meaningless, vain life. Things, money, more, more. Jesus is where it's at. He's taking care of us. Have a fantastic day. You just seek him first, his righteousness, he'll take care of you. He knows what he's doing. Anybody glad that God is always on time? And he's never late. And he's not on the backside of Pluto waiting for that email from the emails telling us, hey, what's going on with Reed lately? Right? And then he doesn't have to say, oops, sorry about that one, I missed it. He's always on time. He always knows what he's doing. But hey, say, wait a second, what about fame and success or reaching the top of your game? Right? That kind of goes along with it. Money and fame and power and education and that. Ha ha. Right? Well, let's take a look at that. Boris Becker, this is wild. Stunned the world after winning his second Wimbledon when a reporter asked him, how does it feel? He answered, listen, quote, I still battle daily with the decision of whether or not to commit suicide. The pinnacle of your career. This is it. You worked your whole life. You got it. Woo! You are the best in the world. I want to die. I could give you story after story after story of people, money, fame. It's the same thing. It's so stinking empty. If that's all you got, you got nothing. And you know it. There's something still there that's missing, and it's called Jesus. Right? But you, 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 you raced for that, and you found it, and it wasn't it, and it's so stinking depressing. How many people are doing that? During his interview with Diane Sawyer, Sawyer, ABC's Primetime Live, Mel Gibson discussed the reasons he, this is kind of interesting, uh, supposedly turned back to God. I got some questions on that. Uh, Initially began uh, working on the passion of the Christ. He said, let's face it. He said, I've been to the pinnacle of what secular utopia has to offer. I got money. I got fame. I got this and that and the other. It wasn't enough. It's not good enough. It leaves you empty. The more you eat, the emptier you get. Okay. What people fail to realize is that all the achievements are eventually surpassed, records are broken, reputations fade, tributes are forgotten. In college, James Dobson's goal was to become the school tennis champion. He felt proud when his trophy was prominently placed in the school's trophy cabinet. Years later, someone mailed it to him because they found it in a trash can when the school was remodeled. You guys ever do that? You ever leave home? You left your room the way it was supposed to be? With all your knick-knack and paddywhacks and all your little things from high school and growing up. And you finally went back home and what happened to all that stuff? It was gone. It was turned into a sewing room, man. That's gross. I'm not bitter about it. I'll move on. 
You know, it's like what, all that stuff that you thought was so important and this and the achievements and that. Come on. Collecting dust. It's in a box somewhere. How many of you guys do that? Oh, you took it with you. But you've been married for 9,322 years and you don't even know where it's at. You found it the last time you moved, which was the 19th time you moved since you got married, in a box. And it was like, there it is. I haven't seen that since I was 21. It's awesome. And what do you do? Well, you put it back over and put some tape on it and stick it in the pile again. <laughs> it, that's it? That's, oh, no, it's not. Okay. And that's what Dobson said. Given enough time, all the trophies will be trashed by somebody else. Right? But I, I've got a secret plan. I'm going to save all this stuff. And even though I won't be here, I'll give it to my son, Billy. And he'll cherish it, right? How many guys are still trying to get rid of stuff from your mom and dad? You know what I'm saying? You don't want to admit it, but I know you're out there. But let's move on. What about your career? What about your work? What about accomplishments? Surely that's it. Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes became a workaholic. Now, this guy took the career thing to the max. I mean, he built stuff. Woo! He had the money. He had everything. Listen, he was a workaholic as your blank there. I undertook great projects, he said. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I planted all kinds of uh, fruit in them. I made reservoirs to water uh, groves of flourishing trees. But then he became bitterly disappointed. Is your blank there? So I hated life, he said, because the work that is done under the sun is grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun. I saw that all the labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. Why did you have to whoop up your backyard like that? Wasn't it good enough? Oh, yeah, but you, did you see the neighbors? They got a spa. And we don't. And I can't handle that. So I don't just have to get a spa. I've got to get a bigger spa with stereo. And it's even got a vending machine, right? I can get candy bars. <laughs> right? And you always try to outdo them with something. How many of you guys have ever seen those with candy bars? Yeah, I haven't either. I just made it up. Anyway, that's right. <laughs> but somebody will probably make it, and we'll probably buy it, won't we? But you know, you always try to outdo somebody, right? And then, and, oh, no, he just drove by with that new truck. So what do you do? You go out and get a bigger truck. Or he just came in, pulled him with the boat. What do you got to have? I'm going to get a bigger boat. And she says, what? And he says, this, I, I was disappointed. I, this is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. This is too meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. When does this stop? Right? And you play that game. Keeping up with the Joneses is what we call it, right? That's, that's why you're here. That's why you exist. That's your meaning. That's your value. That's your purpose in life. How about witness to your neighbor? How about demonstrate to your neighbor that, you know what, I don't need that spa, candy bars and all. I don't need that new truck. I don't need that thing. Hey, more power to you if you got it. But let me tell you about the greatest treasure of all. His name is Jesus. Isn't that what we're supposed to be about? Isn't that more satisfying, meaningless, and purposeful? Everything that we do here on earth, apart from Christ, will not last. You realize that, right? Let's say you're not doing the keeping of the Joneses. You're just building that shit. Because what man doesn't need to have a shed? It's this time in your life when you express your manhood and become shed master. Shed a Reno, shed a source Rex, shed whatever you are, right? And pray that the cat never leans up against it and it falls apart. But we won't go there. You made that shed, right? But you make that thing, you make that doodad, you make the thing and whatever, but guess what happens? Especially here in Vegas. Paint starts to peel. Roof starts to warp. The cat does lean against it. You got to start all over. You know what? Right? Your projects, all these things. That's why he projects. Guess what? It starts to wear out. It doesn't last. 
everything that we work on here apart from Christ will wear out, fall apart. It's disappointing. It's like, how many times? Oh, what a waste to have everything I spent all my time on, worked on, mean to go to dust. But that what you do for Jesus lasts forever. Sharing the gospel lasts forever. Serving Jesus Christ, storing up treasure in heaven, lasts forever. And when we get hooked back into the true purpose and meaning of life, which is God, get busy living that way, i.e. for him, get this, we're the only ones on the planet whose lives here on the planet, this temporary time frame, now just took on eternal value. No matter what you got or don't got. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that satisfying? Knowing that your life now has eternal value in Christ. But see, that's the challenge. Are you living for Christ? If you're living for Christ, then your life is eternally substantial. If you're not, you're wasting what little time you could to make a difference for all eternity. Amen? Hey, the last one we're going to get to is relationships. I don't want to, even though it's a short section, I want to take my time on that one. Dun, dun, dun! That's right. Because isn't that it? If I just have a soulmate, oh, that person. No, no, no. We'll talk about that one, Lord willing, next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? 
Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us, this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay you may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. 
Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.